0: Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is December 16th. I am David Gasper, joined by co-host Matt Carroll. We are the editors at ReviewingTheBrew.com. And in today's episode, we're going to discuss the brewer's return for Corey Knabel, what could happen next this offseason, and a whole lot more. And joining us for that discussion, uh, this guy who was our first guest on this podcast all the way back several weeks ago, and he decided to come back a second time Robert Murray, no longer an unemployed MLB insider, but now the fully employed MLB insider. Robert, welcome welcome back to the pod.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: So when we first had you on for our first episode back by the trade deadline back in uh, at the end of August, um, we were saying, like, hey, someone hire this guy. Someone hire this guy. Like, you, you got to get him somewhere. And sure enough, uh, our bosses over at fansided were listening and now you are a part of the squad. You're a part of the family, uh, here at fansided. It's, it's great, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it's, it's awesome. And I mean, obviously you and I have talked over DM, uh, you, you've made it, made it a possibility and I'm very appreciative of that. Um, yeah, like never in a million years did I like envision a role like this, but it's been awesome, dude, like writing my national column each week. Uh, working for a couple different sites to uh, work with a lot of different people. It's basically giving me a platform to do my national stuff. And it's uh, it's been pretty freaking sweet, if, if we're being honest. I, I absolutely love it so far.
0: Yeah, it's been great. I mean, you got your Inside the Clubhouse articles um, go up every single week. A lot of really good insight in there, including, you know, a couple of brewer's tidbits, you know, every, every now and then whenever you get something, but you know, yep. yeah, and, and so you're doing the national column. You're also uh, running a couple of uh, team sites, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Cardinals and Astros, working with some really talented people over there. Um, it's been keeping me busy for sure. I was like, I was talking to <laughs> um, one of the guys that run the, the Cardinals site with, Matt Graves, and I was sharing my screen report. There was one day this week. Uh, this is going to sound absolutely ridiculous. My screen report for the day was 20 hours and 56 minutes.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Jeez.
1: Yeah. And, uh, well over a thousand text messages that day and yeah it was it was a, it was a long day even though there's no action in baseball there's a lot going on behind the scenes
0: oh yeah did you do you sleep at all like seriously
1: um so i'm actually turning into a bit of an old guy i'm going to bed either between like 8 30 and nine o'clock every night yesterday i actually crashed at 7 30 so wow. that, uh yeah like I'm, I'm 24 going on like 94 here which is not great <laughs> but um yeah, no, I get up like, every morning at like 4 or 5 and just get at it.
2: Yeah, wow. that's what us old guys do.
1: See? I, I mean, we're all young guys, but we're actually like old people at heart. So, look at that. We got that going for us.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Matt Matt is the elder statesman of the group.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, hold on. 37. Oh, yeah, you are the senior member of the group here. Yeah. Oh, by, oh. by a little bit. <laughs> yeah. He's
0: 24, I'm 24. Uh, crazy times.
2: Yeah, it it yeah. truly, truly is it's, crazy. It, it all goes downhill from there. Once you hit yeah. about 28, let me tell you, that's that's when you start noticing yeah. the the pains and everything like that.
1: Oh, 28. 28. 28. You guys got
2: a few years left in you.
1: Okay, that was the back nine after 28. Then. Uh.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, that's gonna be a long back nine.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully, it's no. only. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh man. So yeah, at at this point in the off season, I I think it's really like this year has really kind of aged us all 10 years. It it almost feels like the way everything's gone on. Um, And the off season is moving at a very brisk pace. Would you say Robert, very brisk?
1: Yeah, I would say that's about right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like James McCann is basically the only thing exciting that's happened. I mean, Trevor may too, but. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty slow right now. Basically everybody's waiting for JT Romuto and, uh, Liam Hendricks on the reliever side. Um, it seems like the activity has picked up a little bit this week. I don't know if there's going to be a flurry of moves late before the holidays or anything. Um, but I had a couple of pretty high ranking executives and some agents like say the same thing to me this week. So maybe we have some activity in the next seven to 10 days, but we'll see.
0: Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for sure. Um, and yeah, you had the the James McCann. I think you were the first one with with the total uh, amount of money for James McCann 40 point6 million. I heard I saw like three different people be like, it's a hair over 40 million. It, it's a tick over 40 million. It's a smidge over for like everyone had it as a little bit more, but no one had the number until you were able to to somehow get it out.
1: Yeah, I was I, I was one of the people that used one of those terms. I think I, I used smidge. I accidentally deleted the tweet, though, which wasn't great. That I don't know how no. I it. But, yeah, $40.6 for James McCann was kind of eye-catching just because I thought going into the offseason he'd be a tweet people candidate maybe three years. But um, I heard pretty definitively that he was looking at four years, and the Mets had made that kind of offer to him. And the angles sounded like they were in that ballpark. It was anywhere from three to four years with them. Um but any team that went to four years was basically going to get them. And the Mets, when they went to it, seemed like they were going to get it done pretty quickly. But um, those talks hit a bit of a hurdle at, at some point, um, like right as they were getting serious. And it took quite a while for it to get done. Uh, but four years for forty point six million for James McCann, strong. Like that is. Yeah, I, I
0: would take forty point six million dollars.
1: You know, I, I would even <laughs> settle for forty point five if we're being honest. <laughs> I'd be a bit of a team player. But um, like that, when I when that number came out that he signed for forty point six million, I got a couple of different texts from agents who represent players who are in free agents right now, and they were like, "That is an indicator that there is a lot of money in this market," which is not something I don't think anybody really thought about um, when free agency was starting. So it's a, it's um, a
2: good sign. Yeah, I think that's interesting because you know it started off with the pitchers getting some pretty decent deals, and I think. The thought was, especially going into the offseason, that, you know, some of these contracts might be low, that, well, the pitching market is high, but maybe everything else will end up staying low. So, um, yeah, maybe that's not quite going to be the case then.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm hoping, like or the, the agents are hoping so. Uh, obviously, the players are too. The teams, like, I could see the mid-tier guys getting kind of squeezed out just because there's a load of them. Like, there's a bunch of players, especially relievers. So we can end up seeing these teams wait on guys. I mean, I, I would think Liam Hendricks and Brad Hand and Blake Trinan and, and some of those guys are going to end up getting what they're worth. But, like, those guys who are a level below that could end up getting deals that aren't exactly, like, what you would expect for a player of that caliber. And you know, we could see them sign late January range.
0: Yeah, and I think, like, another thing that's, like, impacting this market is, especially like those mid-tier guys is the fact that no one knows if there's going to be a designated hitter in the national league and mlb has kind of gone back and forth they've they've told teams to plan uh, as if there won't be one but teams are still expecting there to be one and for all your corner outfielders your first baseman your third baseman all those types of guys your dh types yeah. all their markets are basically going to be on pause until we get some clarity on the dh and I still don't get how MLB has gone this far into the offseason without giving us that kind of clarity.
1: Yeah, it's not exactly great because there's been mixed signals from MLB on that, and them not having any like clear direction on what the dH is going to be this year even if they're gonna have it or not, um, is not encouraging just because that's a huge way or that's a huge thing for teams to plan around. And also you look at a guy like Nelson Cruz, who's mm-hmm. a free- now that like directly impacts him. And it could take a, a, the National League teams right out of the mix for him because you don't want to put him in the field because he's strictly a DH at this point of his career. So that limits his playing field, and it, it hurts his leverage with negotiations and everything. Um, I, I'm hoping, I would expect resolution on that in the near future, but then again, I, I, I have not heard anything that makes me indic- or that would make me feel comfortable saying that it's coming anytime soon. It's, it's pretty
0: Rob Manfred, what is he doing?
1: Like yeah. <laughs> seriously.
0: Like how like this is hurting not only the players but also the teams because I mean the teams can't plan around it. The players are now stuck out there longer. Like everyone hates this. Everyone knows that whichever way it goes, there needs to be a decision. And I mean w- you could have a whole different debate on whether or not there should be a, a DH in the National League. That, that's a whole different spirited debate that you could have, but the clarity needs to be there. And the fact that we're sitting here on December 16th and there's no clarity on this, they don't know about expanded rosters either. Like that's just, it's holding up the market for everyone. And it's not, it's damaging the game so much. And Manfred is just, he hasn't been able to, or he doesn't seem to be pushing to get a resolution on this.
1: Yeah. And something that it's, it's frustrated a lot of different people on both sides. And Mm -hmm. if we're looking at the big picture here, that's probably on the low end of the totem pole of what they're frustrated about, just because with <laughs> uh, the CBA uh, stuff coming oh, up, yeah. that, uh, that a lot of people think a strike is happening. I don't want to say it's a lock because it, that'd that be very dangerous, but it, it's coming um, like it's we're we're. Uh, yeah, like I, that's basically the only way I can say it. There's been a lot of frustration on so many different levels. The, the players are not happy with owners, and and it's, it's, it's ugly. But if we're sticking to the DH part of it, they need to have an answer sooner rather than later. And if the longer they go without this, the more it's just going to impact teams, the more it's going to impact players. And, and both sides are going to end up being unhappy, and that's not what anybody wants.
0: No and all this is all it's going to be doing is is just damaging the game in, in more ways because it, it's just gonna lead to more animosity than when it gets to the CBA talks and oh. that that's just like you've said it's basically going to be a giant mess oh, and yeah. it's and the it was going to be a mess even before Corona hit and now afterwards and you know owners are gonna be crying poor and players are not going to be buying it it's just going to lead to uh, an even bigger mess and it's just going to be so bad for the game when it's like at a point where it can really like do some good and really kind of jump up in popularity. And it's just, it's so falling off the rails.
1: Yeah. And they had a point earlier this year where they could have been the only sport to return at a certain point and they Mm -hmm. didn't manage. And that was a huge missed opportunity. I know a lot of different people in the game were saying, what are they doing? And major league baseball, they just lost Chris Young in their in their uh, in the commissioner's office, and that that is a huge loss because he was one of the most respected people throughout all parts of the game. Mm-hmm. And him leaving to go to the Texas Rangers is gonna it might have an impact on what these negotiations look like. Mm-hmm. And from what I can gather, Major League Baseball is about to hire somebody from a team. Um, they it's not done quite yet. Um, like they're going to start stockpiling what the commissioner's office looks like just to, for future conversations these negotiations too and um it wouldn't surprise me if we end up seeing some more executives go from front offices to the commissioner's office or or whatever else they might have in mind
0: yeah i, I think that's something that I mean, it, it's totally underrated, and it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. I could see Theo, Theo Epstein, you know, possibly jumping down, jumping on that train um, at some point. I, I'd honestly rather have Theo or literally anyone else um, be commissioner, to be honest. But <laughs> that's just kind of a, um, a, a whole different thing, cause, cause it seems to me like the way, um, I'm picturing, it, and, and let me know if I'm wrong, but you know, when it was under C League, Rob Manfred was essentially the chief negotiator. League handled all the commissioner stuff. Manfred handled the negotiations. And it seems now that Manfred is up at commissioner, he's still handling all the negotiations while also trying to do all the commissioner stuff. And it seems like it's so much going on that one or both of those parts of the job eventually start to suffer because he's still trying to focus on negotiating while also trying to do all the commissioner job stuff. Am I in the ballpark there?
1: Yeah. I'm not privy enough to, or like, I don't have enough knowledge to know exactly what's going on with that dynamic. Mm-hmm. I, I, that could be totally right. Um, but if I pretended like I knew that, like I would be lying to you and I don't want to do that, but, um, there's, there's a lot of, I appreciate uh, that on, uh, on all ends with, with the job that he's done and that is putting it extremely lightly. Like the pressure is on him. He's still got a, a few years left on his, on his contract. So that's not going to be what the players want to hear. Um, but uh, yeah, like it. The next twelve months, maybe even less than that, are gonna end up being just beyond the words critical for Manfred because he's got baseball in his hands and he's got a shot to just completely. Uh, he's got a chance to. I don't want to say ruin it, but really impact it in a, in a very negative way.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's try to get to some happier topics. All right. Make- <laughs> yeah, happy, yeah happy times. Yes. Yes. Um, something a, a little bit um, that, that you might know a bit more about. Corey Knable ended up getting traded on the non-tender deadline. There were many reporters, yourself included, that said Corey Knable was getting non-tendered. And then at the last minute, David Stern says, you know what, just to spite Robert Murray, I'm going to trade Corey <laughs> Knable and make his report seem wrong. And sure enough, that ends up happening. And Corey Knable is now a dodger. Um, can, can you just take us through what, what happened in in that uh, series of events?
1: Yeah, so basically everybody expected Canable to get non-tendered, and I ended up finding out about like an hour before that it was coming. And I I asked my guy if I could tweet it, and he was like, yeah, I would wait a little bit. And I got to about six fifty, six fifty 650, or six fifty seven in that range, and I asked, hey, is it still on course? And he gave me the thumbs up, and he mm-hmm. said, go ahead. I was like, okay, perfect. I tweeted it. Actually, it was that was probably about 6:52 that happened, and 6:55, and it's just silent. And I tweeted, it was like, everything's fine. All of a sudden, Brewers trade Corey Knebel to the Dodgers. Like this happened at the last second. Like it basically, it, it popped out of nowhere, and it made a ton of sense for the Dodgers just because they had the ability to take on a salary like that, just because they can spend money freely like that and they also need a bullpen help and knabel he showed some really good signs late in the year after some struggles early on it, it would not surprise me based on what i've seen and what i've heard from people who are around Canable if he's able to bounce back into the picture that he was for the brewers for the last few years and that would be the, the price was what a player to be named later was just named i don't think it was anybody
0: yep. leo crawford
1: mm-hmm. yeah if you're giving up a guy like Leo Crawford and getting an all-star caliber pitcher for Corey Canable, you do that every single time if you're able to. And for the Dodgers, it was a no brainer and you could end up transforming their bullpen. And also they give, they still have the ability to add somebody else in the late innings, but having a guy like enable back there makes it a lot less pressing of a need.
2: So now we get Crawford back in the return. Was there any indication, um, that the Brewers were looking for someone specific or was this truly a, you know, they ended up coming across this guy um, down in the Dodgers system that, hey, there's a guy we want. Were, were they, tar- did you feel like they were targeting any anyone? Did anything kind of come out at any point?
1: Yeah, I think this was a case where the Brewers, they had some guys that they liked um, on the Dodgers and this was, they, they were going to give, or they were going to release Knable for nothing and they were able to get one of these players that they liked for Knable. And I mean, it's something you have to do. And I mean, Crawford was rule five eligible. He didn't get selected. And as soon as he wasn't selected, the Brewers knew, okay, that was going to be the player to be named later. Um, so that, yeah, like I, I think he was one of the guys that they targeted and it just ended up working out since he wasn't selected in the rule five. So that, that's how it went down. That's how it went down. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's. That's cool that, that they kind of ended up getting their guy, because I'm assuming like when it comes to these kind of things, like because this this trade came together in like five minutes. Like, as you said, Dodgers just kind of calling them up, hey, we'll give you a player to be named later for for Knievel. And Bruce like, sure. I mean, like you said, it beats losing them for nothing. Okay. Um, and then like, is, is that like, hey, here's a list of like five guys or whatever to begin with? Or is it you just have your pick of the guy and we'll like hash it out later or how, how does that whole process work with a player to be named later?
1: I, so it depends on the, the, on the different trades. I don't know what this one exactly was like, but usually you have a list of players that are going to end up being eligible, and um, you just decide on it um, after the fact. And in this case, it was it was pretty clear that Crawford was their guy. But it, it just depends on the trade, and this one worked out very nicely for the Brewers and the Dodgers, too.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I like Crawford. Like I looked at some of his numbers, you know, lo- looked at some of the stuff and I mean, he had a really good year, uh, in, in 2019, uh, put up a 2.81 ERA, I think uh, in A and, and A or, or something. So, you know, he's a relatively advanced left-handed arm as a starter. So a lot to like there. Yep. Uh, but you know, he's, he's kind of funky and, and crafty and, you know, a pitchability lefty kind of guy. And I kind of started to notice, like, this is kind of a trend almost, it seems like, for the Brewers. I mean, you look at all the lefties that they've had. Josh Hader, Brent Suter, uh, Alex Claudio, who just signed with the Angels, uh, Crawford now, Ethan Small, Aaron Ashby, Antoine Kelly. None of these guys are like your, your traditional normal lefties. I know most players would probably say there's no such thing as a normal lefty. But there, there's none of these, like, traditional, just kind of regular three-quarter arm slot whatever lefties. Um, every single one has some sort of funkiness to their delivery or their arsenal or something like that. And Eric Lauer, I I think, is the only one that seems somewhat normal uh, in that sense of the word. But is this just kind of like a philosophy of the organization that like whatever lefties that they do get, they have to have some sort of funkiness to them?
1: Yeah, exactly. A philosophy. And even if you ask the Brewers, which I mean, I, I did when I was on the beat with McAlvey and, mm-hmm. and Rose Audricourt, they would deny it. Um, but there's got to be something to it because the, something that the Brewers really like to do, and you have to see it with Josh Hader and Alex Claudio, is those two, and you can even throw Brent Suter in there as well, um, they all provide different looks. And they like providing hitters with these different kind of looks so they can keep them off balance. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's exactly how they're playing it out with all these guys because there's some really funky... As you, it's exactly how you put it. There's some funky looks on there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they're thinking about matchups in the future, and that's exactly how they want to build, um, especially in their bullpen. Because you got to see what Craig Console's done and manipulating his bullpen arms and everything. It makes it a little bit more difficult with the three batter rule and everything. But if you can have those kind of matchups, or if you can have those um, those different looks out of the bullpen in the future, I mean, we're not going to see some of these guys for quite a while, if ever um that's a a really nice tool to have and it also makes them like nice trade pieces too should that opportunity come but um yeah i don't know if it's exactly a philosophy but it's something they definitely like
2: i think if this proves anything it's that david Stearns reads reviewing the brew because david a couple (laughs) years back had put an article out there about how the brewers needed to focus on uh getting some left-handed pitching in the organization and if you look at um the top 30 prospects list on MLB pipeline at the end of 2019 Aaron Ashby is the only left-handed pitcher on that list in the top 30 now you've got like you said you know three in the top 10 alone not to mention Clayton Andrews down there at the bottom um who uh could definitely work his way up at some point pitched for Team USA um in one of the off seasons so it's they've definitely focused on that over the last couple of years. Yeah. And
1: it also makes you wonder is, uh, is David Gasper up there? Like a, uh, or or whatnot, he's throwing his little opinions up there. Um, but yeah, it's clearly been a huge emphasis for them because they really like having those left-handed arms out of the bullpen or even in the rotation. Um, (laughs) for, uh, for the brewers, it's been a huge emphasis for them trying to add those guys and, um we've seen it over the years with their draft picks a guy Antoine Kelly when they drafted him he was known as a guy with some really good stuff but also he was pretty wild and he's really taking well to the coaching down there and I I expect based on the reviews that I've heard he could end up being a piece that is a huge factor for them going forward um he's got the stuff that he he, he's got like lightning rod stuff is basically how it's been told to me um so, like for them though, like he's just one of the pieces that they've added that is really just that it's, it's been a focus point for them to try to add left-handed pitching, especially in the bullpen. And um, I don't if they trade Hater, which I mean they're always listening, um, but if if they trade Hater, they're gonna have options uh, available in the minor leagues to help ease that loss. And especially, I mean they're gonna end up getting a haul for him if they do trade him, so that'll also help too.
0: Yeah, and and it's about time you know David Stearns in the front office up there listens to to what I'm saying down here reviewing the brew. So, you know, David Stearns, if you're listening, I am available to be hired. Uh, just just so you know. Uh, so
1: yeah, I mean they're about to be looking for someone. So.
0: Oh, they are.
1: Yeah, that's uh little I'll I'll leave it at that. Let's uh little little hinted or little hinted scoopage there. Oh. Uh, Something coming like the next few days or so.
0: No. All right. All right. I guess guess I'll have to leave that. I mean, the Brewers have kept at least, you know, the the top parts of their front office together. They promoted Matt Arnold to GM. Uh, Stearns now is just president of baseball operations. So they kept Matt Arnold uh, from leaving. So I know he interviewed for the Angels job and he was considered a candidate candidate elsewhere. But he's staying put. Um, So it's not him. I'm pretty sure, but, um, but, but yeah, so th- that was kind of the, the big news. What do you think of Arnold getting promoted to GM?
1: I thought that was an extremely smart move for the Brewers and something that's been talked about for most of the offseason so far is because he was a guy that was primed to go somewhere else, whether it was the Mets, he interviewed for the pirates angels mm-hmm. made a chance for him too. Although I don't know if he interviewed there, he might've actually, um, he was going to end up getting a GM job at some point. The Brewers didn't want to lose him because he's Stearns' right-hand man, and they go through everything together. And if, you mm-hmm. see, if you're see, at Miller Park, you're standing on the field, there's a very good chance that those guys are like right next to each other talking to Craig Council or, or whoever else. And, um, with Stearns being the president of baseball operations, and he was also the GM, he was willing to take down the GM title so he could give it to Arnold so he could keep him. There's always the possibility that Arnold leaves for president of baseball operations job in the future, um, but for now, this really helps solidify his status in Milwaukee. And, and from everything I can tell, he is thrilled to be here. Like this is, he's one of the most respected executives in baseball. And keeping him was a huge win for the Brewers because having him and Stearns as your one-two combo in the front office, that basically competes with anybody. Like they're very good, and and we've seen Atanasio. Um, give them the financial flexibility to make big moves in the past. Maybe we don't see that this off season or even next off season, but um, in the future, they're in very good hands.
0: You mean the Brewers aren't going to be able to go out and get Trevor Bauer? Huh, oh,
1: man. Yeah. You know, I don't see it happening. <laughs> yeah. I want your hopes up on that one.
0: Oh yeah. man.
1: Like there was, there was one, like, so Marcus Simeon, he's a guy that has been asked by a few teams uh, to play different positions. And I checked with the Brewers. It was like, you know what? I could see this making sense. And they were like, totally. He makes a, a ton of sense, except for that price tag. Like, mm-hmm. he'd get out of their out of their range, too. So even a guy like Marcus Simeon coming off of a down year is going to be an out of their price range, which not exactly uh, – it doesn't bode well for their chances of adding a big player this offseason.
0: Yeah, I think that's just about what most, uh, most of us expected. The Brewers aren't going to be – Um, shooting for too much uh this offseason but yeah but they did make one very huge signing Justin Mm -hmm. peterson to a minor league deal the other day (laughs) not really that big i mean that 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 very big signing was completely overshadowed by this other guy in milwaukee signing a giant contract named Giannis. um i don't know what was up with all that but it completely overshadowed justin peterson
1: yeah you know I, I honestly, for the city of Milwaukee, I think the Peterson signing is bigger than Giannis. And, and he, <laughs> <laughs> like, like I don't know, I don't know anything about Dustin Peterson. Like, it's a minor league deal. There's no risk behind it. But when I first saw that, I uh, I read it as Dustin Pedroia, and I was really confused. <laughs> Whoa! Like, yeah, I was like, when was he a free agent? And, yeah. <laughs> That's that's basically the only thing I got on Dustin Peterson. But Giannis signing, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a Bucks fan by any means, but um, for Milwaukee and for Wisconsin in general, that was that was quite massive.
2: So that kind of speaks to some of the areas that the Brewers need to be looking at this off season um, in terms of what the fans think, and as well as what Sterns think, is that corner infield spot. And we've now added a couple um, with him and uh, Zach Green down in the minor leagues, Um, and we bolstered that a little bit, but still really nothing to speak of at the major league level. Um, Do you get a feeling that they're leaning one way versus the other in terms of bolstering first versus bolstering third, or just kind of seeing what is out there for both of them, or what do you think they're really prioritizing right now in terms of those two positions specifically?
1: Yeah, I think both of them are priorities, and you're going to hear Stern say it all the time. He's going to look for an opportunity to add players at a cost that makes sense for them. And I was going through it before the show, and I think if we're if they're trying to add a first baseman, they can do it in free agency. And I think if you want to add a third baseman, doing it by a trade might make a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. I, Because, I mean, the, the third base options in free agency aren't very inspiring. I don't think Eric Sogard has a chance of coming back um Todd Frazier um comes with some question marks and the options outside I mean you have Justin Turner too but he's probably gonna be out of the price range and I, I can't see him leaving the Dodgers either um and after that it's just basically like it's pretty slim pickings first base I could like the one guy that stands out to me is Mitch Moreland I don't know like mm-hmm. what it is about him but I mean they signed Justin Smoke last year he's a different player than Moreland don't get me wrong but um I could see that being a fit, and he's a really good clubhouse guy to have, too. And you can never have too many of those. Um, and I, I think, and I don't know this for sure because I wasn't, like, none of the reporters were allowed in the locker room. But you look at the guys that they lost last year, like Moustakis, uh, Lorenzo Kane when he opted out. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Travis Shaw, too. I mean, I, he wasn't too much of a vocal leader. Um, I mean, he was grand Grandal. He was huge for the, the, the pitchers, but you lose all those leaders and those veterans. And you go to a pretty young team that has a really big impact. And if you can add a guy like Mitch Moreland, maybe on a one-year deal, I think that makes a ton of sense. And that's the Padres love him for that. Like they specifically target him at the deadline because they liked his bat, and they also really liked the presence that he had um, in the locker room or in the clubhouse. Um, So I I think that could end up being a guy that they target. I don't know for sure if they're interested, but um, that would be the one I think I would I would keep an eye on. In- interesting.
2: So, yeah. Third base okay. trade, obviously Nolan Arenado, then, right?
1: Yeah, like I think it's Nolan Arenado or bust. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. Might like, have to trade Yellich
2: to get him, but you know.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like the fan base might be a little upset if they traded Yelich for that.
2: <laughs> um,
1: like it was, it was, it's interesting though, because I had somebody describe to me that Arenado has a very similar, um, trade situation to Giancarlo Stanton from a few years ago. Because he's got the no-trade clause, and he can basically control where he goes. And if you remember correctly with with Stanton, um, he ended up turning down deals, I believe it was to the Giants. Cardinals were another team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he basically forced his way to the Yankees. I'm not saying is going to do the same thing, but he's got that same exact power to do so. Um, and I know that's got a couple of teams wondering, because want to presume like, whether or not they should actually do it um or if it's even worth it but um yeah Arnado. like i don't know why i went on this tangent here about Arnado, but uh, <laughs> yeah like My bad. no <laughs> no you're all good um but no it's really interesting to me like what his trade situation is gonna have looking like this year i think it like, i expect him to be traded honestly um i i think a few teams expect that too uh i just don't know exactly where that's gonna end up being and i don't yeah, it's going to end up being like one of the most fascinating storylines of the offseason.
2: Well, I know today it came out that uh, I thought it was Cohen said that he's not opposed to the Mets looking into it. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate that Van wagner has gone and we can't fleece the Mets in any, in any trades anymore. But man, if yeah. they've been entertaining to watch this off season? like I would I would love to see, honestly, what would actually transpire if they did try and trade for him. It would
1: like they're gonna end up getting nuts this offseason. That's it's I, I would be floored if they didn't end up with George Springer, ever being quite honest. Mm-hmm. Like I, that. Um, okay. Cool. Um, sorry, I had another text. Um, but uh, yeah. like the Mets, they're gonna spend a lot of money this winter, like it's gonna end up being. It's going to be nuts. Um, I think Springer's a guy that they're going to end up looking at. I could see them adding another starting pitcher, maybe a Jake Odorizzi type. Um, They're going to end up trying to add maybe to the bullpen too. Liam Hendricks is somebody they're targeting. Um, Speaking of Hendricks, that market is going to end up getting getting pretty strong and lucrative. A four-year deal should be coming for that one. Um, But uh, the Mets are going to end up spending a lot of money. I'm not going to say like John Middleton's comments with the Phillies a couple years ago is stupid money, but (laughs) <laughs> the Mets are going to spend a lot of money. Um, it's just a matter of who they spend it on and, and where they spend it.
0: Yeah, the, the Mets are – I've really liked watching Steve Cohen on Twitter because he's just kind of mm-hmm. been – he's been great. He's asking the fans for stuff, and he's, like, tweeting updates and everything. It, it, it's it been great to watch. But when it comes to, you know, the Liam Hendricks market there um, and, and how much money he's going to get, once he signs – do you feel like the losers in the Liam Hendricks sweepstakes might turn to the Brewers for Josh Hader and get into those sweepstakes? I know we've kind of talked about possibly trading Josh Hader before, and you know we, we've had a couple other guests on that have been kind of skeptical that he's going to end up getting traded. What's your sense of, of where things might stand with Josh Hader?
1: I could definitely see teams that lose out on Hendricks trying to turn to, to Hater to see where the Brewers are at, but I'm right there with those people on being skeptical. Like the odds of him being traded feel very slim. They're obviously going to listen. They're not shopping, but they're listening, and that's a very important distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think teams are going to be more inclined to turn to a, a Blake Trinan or um, some of these other top relievers. Like. Um, Acquiring haters also going to cost teams a lot of money. Like the Yankees, I mean, a couple of names that I had heard mentioned in trade talks to the Brewers were Clint, or Clint Frazier, and Miguel Andujar. Um, mm. Like I'm, I mean, that you would end up needing quite a bit of players, or some quality players, I should say, to acquire a hater. I don't know if teams are going to end up doing that just because in this day and age, and Corona ball and everything, these cheap, controllable assets are going to end up being like the luxury. And haters is due for a contract extension in the near future. And giving up those kind of assets for a player who's going to be making a ton of money. And he's also his arm angle and the way he, he throws it um, makes him a high risk for injury. Um, like there's a lot of concerns there. I just don't know if a team is going to be willing to give up what it takes to acquire Hater.
0: I mean, that's something that I mean, it makes a lot of sense. But also, like, you know, just thinking about what you could get for three years of Josh Hader. Um, I'm not entirely thrilled with, with Clint Frazier. I mean, he's been this much Ballyhooed prospect. I know I'm, I'm really bringing out the words here with Ballyhooed. But
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a really good one. It's a strong word. Yeah.
0: Yeah, very strong word. Yeah. But, I mean, he's been this big prospect for a number of years, and he hasn't really been able to, to jump out and do anything. Um, just kind of being like a fourth outfielder for a number of years, and I am mean, especially with, I mean, he'd be the same thing in Milwaukee. He'd essentially be a fourth outfielder behind Braun, Yelich, and Gar, or y- Yelich, Kane, and Garcia. I'm, I'm so used to saying Braun. I did, I did this the other week too. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's incredible. But, yeah, yeah. So like, that doesn't make as much sense. Andahar, I could see because he's a third baseman, but you know, his last like full good season was in 2018. You know he's had injuries and, and he's kind of been um, kind of stopped from playing everyday duty over there in New York at third. Um, so that's just it, it doesn't really seem like New York is a good match in, in a Josh Hader trade with the assets that that they have.
1: I so I I should actually preface that I heard Frazier's name last year before they ended up signing Garcia.
0: Okay. Um,
1: like that, I mean they discussed. That makes it. more sense. And I I also think from a need standpoint and what their farm system looks like I actually think the Yankees are the ideal fit for the Brewers for a hater trade. Like really? That, that's uh I've had a couple of people with the team tell me that same thing. Um, huh. like that, that they're uh, I don't want to say they think it would be a good match. It just it takes two to tango and I don't think the Yankees or any of these teams are willing to part with what it takes to get hater just because it's going to take. Uh, I'm gonna try to use one of your words here. A boatload is what it's gonna Ah, Um Yeah, it's it's gonna take a ton. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would certainly expect that. And you know, Stearns is not the type of guy to go off of his price, you know, very much. Like he's he's gonna stick to it. Um and I mean the the point still kinda you know remains that the Brewers are like they're still going to need to find a way to get corner infielders um to to fill the holes on this roster whether it's a josh Hader trade or or some other way of looking at it um but i mean you look at the farm system in general and the brewers don't really have anything at at first and third base i mean they, they, they just signed green and and they just signed peterson to fill some minor league holes there but they don't have anything coming up to to fill Uh, at the big league roster. And it's a position, it's a group of positions that the Brewers have largely ignored in the draft. And, I mean, I'm looking at the last five years that that David Stearns has been there, that they've been running the draft. They have taken four corner infielders in the first 10 rounds. They've spent a second round pick, which is on Lucas Urseg, who straight up, he can't hit uh a third round pick on kj harrison a first baseman that they traded for Gio gonzalez a fifth round pick on a high school third baseman nick Egnatuck. Agnet- he got released this summer and a ninth round pick on a college third baseman dallas carroll who was released after after hitting a buck 25 in a ball so the, the brewers haven't spent any sort of capital at first and third base meanwhile at, at catcher They've spent a second-round pick, a third-round pick, a fourth-rounder, a fifth-rounder, sixth-rounder, seventh-rounder, ninth-rounder. They have drafted seven catchers in the first ten rounds in the last five years. They've got a ridiculous amount of catching depth, way more than necessary. They, they've got more catchers than they know what to do with, and meanwhile, they have nothing at the corner infield. And I know they value up the middle guys, but I mean, you need you need to draft some corner infielders and, and spend some early picks on them too.
1: You do, and that's something they're going to end up having to do in the near future, but you also got to remember you can't force these picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what the the past history looks like for players taking around those picks, um, but the Brewers, we mentioned it before, they've really prioritized left-handed relievers, uh, left-handed arms specifically, um, and they've also, as you said, meant or they've prioritized these catchers, and they, they believe that is a premium position, same with up the middle defense and everything. Um, And that's why they've spent so many early round picks on these guys is because they think those are the keys to success. Um, And whether or not you agree with that strategy, I mean, that's totally fair if you have a differing opinion. Um, But that's how they, that's how they operate. But they also, at the same time as they they need to upgrade those positions because first and third base in the majors, that it's abysmal right now um, mm-hmm. same thing in the minor leagues it's it's bare is what it is um and they're not gonna be um they're not gonna be at a very high level if uh if they don't have those positions filled and like you saw when they were at their best in 2017 through 2018 they had moustakas there they had travis shaw hitting well they had jesus aguilar hitting well and now they have Daniel Vogelbach and Luis Urias. Yeah, yeah. I mean kind he's, of. I mean he's decent. Like um, that trade still um, looks like a mess. But like they don't have anyone there that I would call an above, or that would call an, an above average player. And that's a huge concern going forward. Like they have plenty of time this offseason to fill it, but and until they do you can't really take them too seriously as a contender.
0: Yeah, I absolutely. 100% agree. I mean, you, you look at, like, like you said, I mean, the cupboards are bare. Like, they don't have anyone in, in the minor leagues that's really worth a damn at the corners. Like, it, it really is. You look at those guys, and you got, like, Ryan Aguilar, a 31st-round pick. You got an undrafted free You got an international free agent in Ernesto Martinez, who's 21 years old down in A-ball. Like, those are the only first basemen that they have. And they got nothing at, at the position. I mean, they, like I, like we were talking about, they haven't really drafted it. And, I mean, they got lucky with Jesus Aguilar claiming him off waivers um, when, when they had him. And just kind of looking at their farm system as a whole, there's not really much for, for power hitters in there. They got Tristan Lutz, an, an outfielder, who's got some power. Uh, you got Garrett Mitchell, who they just drafted, who has some power, but they haven't seen it in games yet. They haven't been able to tap into it. What else do they got for power hitters? You, you got Feliciano, who's got some pop. You got, what, Thomas Dillard, uh, a catcher, first baseman type that, that's far down. They All their hitting prospects, they're all hit over power kind of guys, and, and they're all up-the-middle type players. They got no one on the corners. They, they got no big boppers. Uh, they got no power hitters. And, you know, as much as as important as getting up-the-middle guys that, that get on base – um, and getting guys with big hit tools, as important as that is, you also need power. And, and that's another important part of the game that they don't have pretty much anything of that they, they got no power hitters outside of Tristan Lutz and and Feliciano's got some power. But like that's all that they have down on the farm for for true power type guys that can be in the middle of the lineup and hit 30 plus homers a season.
1: Yeah. And I, the game of baseball is trying to tour the home run and not them mm-hmm. not have guys at the corner of the infield where those are two like premium power positions that's a, a huge concern and something I'm sure they're gonna end up looking at in free agency uh, they thought they were gonna end up having that kind of guy last year with uh, Justin smoke but that uh, I was gonna say that signing went up in flames but that would have been enough uh, <laughs> uh, we'll yeah thank you I, I thank you for allowing that because I, <laughs> I wouldn't have, if you ended up throwing me off in this podcast. Uh, but uh, hey I
0: make puns just as bad all the time mm-hmm.
1: yeah, well we, you've seen my puns on Twitter they're not very good
0: Where, yeah I've uh, also seen your food takes on Twitter they're also not very good and,
1: <laughs> and by a lot of those like there's some of them I've come down to like the i've've've I've, I've seen the light like uh peanut butter and chocolate together primo like very good finally uh, but uh
0: did yeah, you have man. a Cinnabon?
1: I have not like they never showed up so oh. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, you You
0: and me, we have to go to like the mall or something. We have to We have to find a, a Cinnabon, and we gotta We we gotta let you know how good it is.
2: That sounds Do they even good. Still I mean, exist?
1: Wait, what's that?
2: Are they still out there? Do they still exist? Yeah. I can't Remember the last time I saw one?
1: Yeah, their uh, Their Twitter account actually well came at me that one day, and then Yeah, because <laughs> you You tagged them in that tweet. Now I remember. It's all. Exciting. Yeah. You know, so yeah because you said
0: icing or, or frosting ruins cinnamon rolls and i'm like oh cinnabon oh, help this man see the light
1: yeah no that one i stand by like so what i do um is i scrape the the frosting into the garbage oh, um it's such yeah. a waste so um but yeah like um what was i gonna say there was there all right was now like, we're
0: kicking you off the podcast <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm, totally fair totally fair but <laughs> We've, uh, I mean, you and I have gone to uh, Chipotle together at the winter meetings. Our uh, our next mission, our next winter meetings is going to involve Cinnabon. Yeah. To go back to, well, what were we talking about again?
0: Corner infielders, I think. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Getting power, yeah.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, they thought they were going to have that with Justin Smoke, and that signing did not go well at all. He was designated for signing basically halfway through the year. and. They took a flyer on Daniel Vogelbach, and he was actually, like, not bad. And he was a former All-Star a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and Stearns thought he could end up being lightning in a bottle, and it turns out he was right. Whether or not he's able to like carry that over into next year, I'm not exactly sure, but he showed enough signs where the Brewers can, can bet on him being a, a part of this equation going forward. But that should not stop them from adding a first baseman. They, they absolutely need to acquire a third baseman because – their everyday guy is not on the roster right now. Like I, I, I think Luis Urias is very talented. I, I, just don't know if he's the guy that they can rely on uh, for 162 games, if that's what they play going going forward. Of course, but I also wonder if an Orlando RCA trade is still possible. Oh, I don't like. I haven't heard any anything specific on that, but those rumors were pretty strong for a good 12 months, I would say, and. Stearns is open to anything, and they they envisioned Urias as the primary shortstop going forward, um, or uh, when they acquired him, I should say. And as soon as he got hurt, Arcia stepped in, and um, but uh, I had a Brewers executive recently tell me that they need Arcia, and so I would say a trade is unlikely, but you can never rule really
2: anything out, I guess. So do you think with their philosophy around corner infielders. Do you think it was just a case of they just always assumed that they would be able to acquire one of these guys in free agency via trade? Because you think of, you know, Mike Moustakis, they got via trade, and then they signed him. They traded for Travis Shaw. They were able to sign Thames. They were able to, I think, Aguilar was waivers, correct? Um, You know, they were always able to find someone, but is it now just a case of that strategy doesn't necessarily work so much because the well has kind of run dry.
1: I think that's a good way of putting it. And I, I think it's still possible for them to add those kind of guys in free agency, but a key for them going forward, because they're a small market team, is they're not going to be able to afford the top of market of these kind of players, is developing your own and having these guys sign cheap. And they don't have anyone in their farm system to do that. And that's a huge issue. So I think they can continue to add these guys in the short term. Um, I think that's going to what they have to do this off season in order to like fill those positions. But in the draft this year, next year, uh, going forward or what, whatnot, they're going to have to identify these kind of players so they can build around them in the infield. Because as I said, they have nobody there to to do that right now. Yeah, absolutely,
0: and, and especially because I mean this 2021 draft class is going to be so deep. I mean there are only five rounds in 2020. And a lot of guys are getting their college eligibility, like they're, they're getting an extra year. So there's going to be so many guys eligible for the draft this year. It's going to be such a deep group and you're going to have plenty of guys to choose from. And you can see a lot of guys that probably would go maybe top half of the first round. that will fall a little bit because there's simply so many good players. And that's where having that competitive balance round a pick at like 32 overall, I think, is going to be huge for them. And the past couple of years, they've traded it away. And I've been, I've been saying this year, don't trade that pick. You need that top 35 overall selection to help fill out this farm system.
1: Yeah, I think w- one of their previous picks like that, they ended up trading, what was it, for Alex Claudio? Yep. Who yep. Uh, just angels today, by the way, uh, old yeah. friend um but, uh, yeah, like this, this is the kind of year that is going to be really crucial to the Brewers, and especially with having that kind of a pick. Because as the, those really good players that would go early on in the draft are going to end up sliding a little bit. And this draft is going to be really deep. Um, so them having that kind of a pick that early is a potential building block going forward. Um, so I don't, I don't envision them trading that pick unless the opportunity is just too good to be true. I think that's the biggest need going forward in the draft and maybe even free agency is just adding to those two positions because, like, first and third base are, I said it before, they're bare, but they're more than bare. Like, it's it's completely, like, deserted.
0: Yeah. It, it's been almost essentially abandoned in the draft because they, they haven't really gone for um, any of them um, in, in recent years. And, you know, it, it's just kind of, an interesting way to you know try to build because i know like in with short stops whatever you can move a shortstop to third base if he's got a strong throwing arm you can you can move you know a middle infielder to first base you can move a center fielder to left or right um, but those up the middle guys don't have that traditional power profile that would happen with, with those corner infield spots and it, it goes back to what we were saying before how they don't have any power guys really that that are in their system
1: yeah and like you look across the board, you try to find their um, their power hitters on their major league team. I mean, Yelich, uh, Garcia, Kane doesn't hit for much power either. Mm-hmm. Um, Narvaez, I mean, he can hit for power. Um, Keston here has got sneaky power to all parts of the field. Like that really kind of caught me off guard when I saw him up close in person for so, like, his first year was just how he's able to do it. But in their farm system too, just they don't have anybody to do it. Um, it's a huge concern because as I said before, it's the game of baseball is shifting toward the long ball and I'm not having many of those guys that go alongside Yelich big concern, especially since he's signed for so much longer. I mean, having Yelich is a nice tool to have in a toolbox, but you got to surround him with some really good players and they have Keston Hero, But as far as long-term building blocks, that's basically it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not a good position for them to be in. But if there's anyone that I would trust to change that quickly, it would be Stearns and Matt Arnold because they're two of the best executives in baseball.
0: Absolutely, and that's what our um, our batting average article uh, sought to find out. Because we had a couple weeks ago looking to practical. find David Stearns' batting average. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, and, and you look at, you know, what Stearns has done, I mean, in the trade in the trade market, he's been phenomenal really with, with how his trades have worked out for the team. I mean, some have been bigger than others. Some were very small, but I mean, he, the way he's been able to get essentially three out of every four trades as, as a hit for the team. I mean, that's, that's something that I don't think you see very often. And also, like if the Brewers are going to find any long term building blocks this offseason at first and third base, if if they want a long term solution, they're going to have to trade for it. Because like, like we were saying, no one on the free agent market really kind of fits as a long term solution as either at either first or third base and they don't have anything coming up in the minors. So if they're going to find a long term fix at either of those corner infield spots, it's going to have to be with a trade. And I mean, I know Eduardo Escobar, like he's, he's only got a year left. I'm not sure how much he'd be a trade candidate, but I mean, you you could look at, you know, any of these, like look at Pavin Smith, maybe for Arizona. I mean, he's a first base prospect, just about big league ready, but they got Christian Walker over at first base. So where's Smith going to go? So he could be a guy that, you know, maybe they could move around or or something like that, but he'd have a long, long long-term control and he could possibly fix uh, the Brewers at first base, and he'd be there for six, seven years.
1: Yeah. And with Stearns, you you always, I think what you said is right, but with him, you always have to expect the unexpected. And right. a guy like Arvaez was not necessarily on our radars last year when they acquired him. And even some of the players he's acquired in the past weren't exactly somebody who were like, that is the clear Brewers target. It's like, oh, that, why didn't I think of that? Um, So, I, I absolutely think trade is something that they're going to explore heavily, and the fact that he's had so much success in doing so should give Brewers fans and even Mark Antanasio or Mark Antanasio a lot of comfort um, in trusting him to fix this. Um, and that being said, too, is like something that you you mentioned him basically quote unquote winning three out of four trades. Mm-hmm. And when he does make a mistake, like a Jonathan Scope, I remember asking him. Mm-hmm. Um like what his thoughts were on the deal afterwards when they got rid of smoke or out uh, scope, I should say and he said um, it was a bad deal and that's on me. He's always taken ownership in a bad deal and I respect that total that's mm-hmm. refreshing as honesty as you're gonna find from a GM uh, or from a president of baseball operations now um and I, that moment kind of really struck me that I mean he's always, Got it. Like, but well, he like, he gets it, and I can totally see a scenario where he solves this problem, maybe not in one off season, but maybe two, and puts this puts this team in a position to content. Maybe not with the Dodgers or anything, but at least be competitive in the in the Central and and, uh, and make the playoffs for a fourth straight year.
2: Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people. Um, forget is that you know GMs don't win every single trade there's going to be bad ones in there even with someone like Stern so that's why I think it was so eye-opening when David put together all of that information to see that you know more often than not he does win those trades and those you know signings and those waiver claims Um, but just one last thing kind of speaking of trades we did bring up a little bit um, last week I believe um, about the Phillies now having hired uh, Dombrowski um, we know he likes to wheel and deal. Do you see any sort of uh, potential match coming there, or just in general, and kind of influx of trades coming from Philadelphia?
1: Yeah, like when you hire Dave Dombrowski, you expect them to be ultra aggressive. And like that being said, I don't expect them to re-sign a guy like JT Romuto. But what the Brewers have a ton of is catching depth. That could be a clear way of them. Making a trade with Philadelphia, I think there's some other teams that make sense too for for catchers because there's a lot of them looking for catchers right now. Um, but like I could see a Manny Pena going there. Um, I think the Brewers or any team should give Jacob Nottingham more of a shot. I think he's a, a really talented guy. He's clearly improved defensively, offensively mm-hmm. he's too much. But like I, I think that would make he would make sense. Uh, like a Peyton Henry type isn't going to get too much in return. He wasn't even selected in Rule 5. But um, like they, they could even trade Omar Novaya's, too, if they wanted to, because they have that luxury with so much depth. Um, so I could see that absolutely being a way uh, for the Brewers and Phillies making a trade. Um, I mean, we also, like, I mean, different front offices, obviously, but they just made a trade with David Phelps. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there's some familiarity there. Um and Dombrowski, he's known as a wheeler and dealer. So you never know. I wouldn't rule anything out with that one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I thought, you know, the Rays might have made a a good trade partner too for for catching, but they just signed Zanino. Um, so can't quite pawn Jacob Nottingham on them yet. But yeah, Nottingham's a guy that, you know, I think he deserves a shot to be like an everyday starter somewhere. But he's not gonna get it in Milwaukee. It looks like he looks like he's number four on the depth chart right now, behind Luke Maylie. And yeah. yeah, he's a guy that I mean, he's out of options. So the Brewers are gonna have to either keep him on their 26 uh, man roster when the season starts, or they're gonna have to designate him for assignment. So I, I think he's kind of more of a more of a trade guy as well. And I mean, the, the Phillies make a lot of sense. You know, they also need bullpen help. You could see what they might pay for Hater because. Like you said, Dave Dombrowski's a wheeler and dealer, so he might be one of the few that could be willing to pay for Hater. I'm just speculating, of course, but yeah. I mean they have some pieces there, not many. That their farm system's not that great in Philadelphia, but they've got a, a couple of, of pieces that you know that they could work something with.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I, I don't think they're the they're necessarily the best match for a Hater trade, but. I mean, they certainly have pieces where they can be aggressive, but something I would expect them to be kind of careful this year with how they spend because their philosophy or their the way they want to build this team is they want to really improve the, the farm system. And that's not something you necessarily expect to hear when you're dealing with Dave Dombrowski. Mm-hmm. You find his top three prospects and say, hey, you're going to whoever for their best player. Um, and in this case, they're going to end up trying to build the farm system up. Um, And try to build a sustainable winner, but also try to add major league pieces and good ones at that if the right opportunity presents themselves. And that's basically how all these teams are operating at this point is, is, is building through the farm and then supplementing the roster when the right opportunity presents itself. But I would not be surprised if Dombrowski makes a big move at some point, just because that's in his DNA, he's probably going to end up getting an itch and wanting to trade somebody like one of his top guys for a big league piece. Um, it's hard to, it just, I, I like the insider in me is telling me that going go stand Pat, but like the guy that has been around Dave Dombrowski for six years is like, he's going to do something big. And I, just, I it is.
0: Yeah, that's certainly going to be fun to find out what happens with that this offseason. Oh, yeah. um, w- one final thing I uh, just kind of wanted to, to get your thoughts on. So um, at the site over the next uh, couple of weeks, we're going to be taking a look at um, some of the big moments in Miller Park history. As you know, Miller Park is getting renamed as American Family Field um, starting next year. You were there for a couple of years on the beat what would you say is your favorite Miller Park moment?
1: Okay, so I'm going to give you my first one. It's going to be a personal memory, just like something for me that just was like I had to pinch myself that it was real. Um, was like going walking into the locker or walking into the clubhouse and like you're standing there. You're talking to some of these players and all of a sudden you look to your right and there's Bob Uecker and it's like all of a sudden he says robbie baby what's happening and like, <laughs> what the heck bob you knows my name like it's that part to me was really like it was like wow like, maybe that's not like a miller park memory or not but like that's a personal memory that's just forever ingrained in me um and then as far as like personal miller park memory i would say that I, I wasn't there for too, too much on the beat, but I would also say, like, watching Yelich explode um, for his MVP season and then leading the Brewers to Game 7 against the Dodgers, like, mm-hmm. watching that series, hearing the crowd just roar at every single moment um, was a moment was that basically just told me, holy crap, I can do this for the rest of my life, and you look around and everybody's just at the edge of their seats beers flying everywhere you got bratwurst thrown in the air Uh, (laughs) it's uh like that for me was incredibly special and something i will cherish every day that i'm around it like it's uh yeah it's very cool and like for me that is the most unforgettable memory for me
0: Wow. That's insane. I can't even imagine like, what, like what do you even do when you, when you look at Bob Euchre and he just says, Hey, what's happening? And you're like,
1: like, like, like how do you respond? <laughs> yeah, you, you don't, it's, it's like you, you freeze. And like, there was a couple moments too, where I was, um, I can't remember what the story was, but I interviewed Euchre for it. And I was standing right outside, like, uh, Craig Council's office for it. And it was me with Euchre. And all of a sudden, you see all the, like, you see Yelich, you see, like, some of these Brewers legends, like Robin Yelich, show up and like walking by you. And um, it's just, like, holy crap. The amount of baseball history right that's walking by you that you're talking to is just the definition of insane. Like, Bob Euchre, um, one of the coolest dudes I've ever met in my life. Like, he is... He's got such a cool vibe to him, and everything that you've probably heard about him, him being a really nice guy, super chill and down to earth, it's true. He is Mr. Baseball for a reason, and, uh, like, yeah, he's hes just a really, really, really cool and interesting dude. He's got stories for days. Oh, I bet. Oh, yeah. Like, there's, <laughs> they're not for this. I'll let Bob tell him if, if he's ever on it, but.
0: Yeah. Um, if we can get Bob Euchre on this <laughs> podcast, <I'm, Yeah>. that, <laughs> that would, would be, be the biggest day of my life.
1: Yeah, I I I would freak out if I was you. Like that that would be very cool. Cause like, yeah, I I yeah, like just the stories that he tells and the way he tells them too, it's just
2: yeah. epic. If, you, if you've got an in to help get him here, we'd very much appreciate it.
1: <laughs> God, I wish I had an in with him. <laughs> they uh they basically put that guy in Fort Knox. They don't make him very very available, but um, just being around him and everything was uh, special least.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's just that, that's just incredible to like. I, I remember seeing like a tweet or whatever, like which former major league player would you want to have at your Thanksgiving table? I'm like, the only answer is Bob Uecker. Simply like for all the stories that you could have.
1: Oh, exactly. If you say anybody other than Bob Uecker, I don't think he can be trusted. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. that, some other guys that would be really entertaining, but Bob Uecker, yeah, he would he would make things very interesting
0: oh yeah that'd be that'd be a lot of fun at dinner
1: uh, <laughs> oh yeah i don't think there'd be much eating i'd just be talking or i just like glued to the conversation the entire time
0: oh yeah for yeah. sure yeah Oh uh, yeah bob Eucher, what a guy Robert Murray, also, what a guy. Robert, thank you so much for, for joining us this week on the Cold Brew Podcast. A lot of fun having you on. A lot of great insight. And uh, keep plugging away, and, and hopefully soon we can get some moves and, and get this uh, off-season market rolling.
1: I'm trying my best. I, I'm hoping we <laughs> can get some moves, but I appreciate you guys having me greatly. Always a pleasure. All right,
0: always, always great having you on, Robert. Thank you so much. For Robert Murray, for Matt Carroll, I'm Dave Gasper. This has been the Cold Brew Podcast. Be sure to uh, stay tuned uh, to the site and to um, to reviewing the brew. And uh, stay tuned for all the next episodes coming up um, in future weeks on the Cold Brew Podcast.